The following podcast has coarse language that may offend. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. Welcome, peeps and pipettes, to the Dumb Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Liz, and this is the final episode of our journey into the study of suffering. Today's episode, we will cover wound healing and scar formation. Now, we all have scars. Mostly for us, it's emotional scarring, but we are focusing our attention to the physical kind that can be healed. Emotional scarring needs a very good therapist and a lot of cheesecake consumption. Wound healing and scar formation are a very much needed mechanism of the body, which comes in handy when you mess your shit up, doing some mad skills and stacking it super hard. The worst scar I have is one on my upper leg, thanks to my sister strategically placing one of my mum's bamboo baskets next to my bed and then pushing me off. So thanks for that, bitch. Anyways, moving on. I must mention this to be a teeny bit accurate when it comes to healing wounds. The idea is to restore damaged tissue to its somewhat former glory. However, there are some areas of the body that can regenerate damaged tissue without sending the entire robot army of inflammation to get involved. So for example, labile tissues, um, such as our skin, We tend to scrape and slough off the first layer of skin on a daily basis, more often due to the extensive amount of hand washing thanks to COVID, making us all paranoid about cooties and also to stop being a grubby mess. Our skin cells tend to regenerate quite quickly. Our guts are another example of labile tissue. So... Eating crap, digesting crap, and making crap cops a fair amount of damage dealing with acid and shit. However, smooth muscle tissue that lines the GI tract is crazy regenerative thanks to its little pits of stem cell reserves. Stable tissues are found in a few organs, notably the liver. So the liver is an organ that can regenerate like a boss thanks to its superpowers of hyperplasia. But I am focusing on permanent tissue wounds today, the ones you get surgically or stack your bike too hard and mess up your knees, that kind of um, wound healing. So there are four processes that contribute to wound healing and scar formation, hemostasis, inflammation, proliferation, and maturation. However, I believe they should chuck in pain too. So pain sucks balls, we know, but without it, our bodies would not know that there was some form of damage on our body. Pain is the first response when we hurt ourselves and acts like a beacon to alert the body that trouble is afoot. With pain, your body responds physically and biologically at the same time. Think about what you do when you hurt yourself. You cry out, you push the offending danger away from you, you start to look around the injury just to assess the damage. All those things contribute to a behavioural change of your body thanks to the alert of pain. Okay, now while you are bitching and carrying on because you suck at riding a bike on the outside, inside 
the biological response is well underway to begin the four phases of healing. Hemiostasis is the activation of coagulative pathways, which is fancy science talk for the blood vessels to restrict. So blood flow slows down the, enough for the red blood cells to begin sticking together at the site of the injury. This coagulation of blood forms a temporary clot to stop the bleeding. The first thing they teach you in first aid is to stop bleeding. It's, your body is a closed circuit. It's important. Any openings are bad, bad, bad. So the body must move its ass to plug up the hole. Within the blood clot, there are components of fibrin and proteins which provide the initial framework to support the healing and a place for the leukocytes and all the other shit to start rebuilding. The top of the clot dries up thanks to being exposed to the air and this hardens up the clot to form a scab. Ta-da! Now, while this is happening, underneath is about to start the inflammatory response party. The first guests to rock up are the neutrophils, normally, who start puking out proteolytic enzymes to clear all the damaged shit up. Epithelial cells begin to proliferate at the edge of the wound, dropping bombs of basement membrane components to create a thin layer just under the epithelial surface to close up your wound. Angiogenesis begins by forming new capillaries to help deliver nutrients, transporting leukocytes and proteins faster to the site. Now that the injury has been closed and the bleeding has stopped, it's time to get into making some kick-ass granulated tissue. Time heals all wounds. Granulated tissue formation is kind of like filling up a ball pit. Each ball you pour into the pit represents a different leukocyte, proteins, and other scaffolding structures. Neutrophils at this stage are replaced with macrophages, so these big-ass killing eating machines, and they are fantastic in eating up the shitty bits of crap that we don't need whilst promoting the angiogenesis response and the recruitment of more extracellular matrix scaffolding to strengthen the newly formed tissue. Collagen fibres are synthesised, which complement the epithelium cell proliferation. Now, by this time, the newly formed tissue is all squishy and juicy thanks to the accumulation of exudates from leaking blood vessels. This allows for the smooth passage of more plasma proteins to make its way around the wound. Very important at this stage to not screw around with your wound too much as the tissue is so tender and mild like baby Jesus and may split apart. Cytokines, like a party drug, drive the reaction of more fibroblasts to be pumped out, which in turn triggers growth factors to grow more crap to fill the hole. Fibroblasts make extracellular proteins along with the help of collagen to bridge the gap of the wound. As time goes on, the scab falls off or gets picked off by you. We all do it. I know you do. Don't get precious about it. Notice the skin that lies underneath the scab you've picked off, yeah, I'm looking at you, is nice and healed up thanks to keratinization. The proliferation of these components of healing continue getting dropped in to thicken up the site. 
Eventually, the newly formed capillaries start to ease off and everyone from the inflammation party goes home and you are left with a sweet scar to show to your friends. Yay! But this sweet scar is no longer the same tissue as it was before. So tensile strength, which means the way the skin can be pulled, is now somewhat limited depending on the size of the scar and how crazy it is. But it's better than bleeding out and dying, that's for sure. Now, this whole process of tissue formation is known as first intention. However, if this first intention is not enough to heal the wound, the body can fall into second intention of healing. Same shit, it's just a more intense response. So granulated tissue formation is dialed up, more exudate juices, more contraction of the wound, depending on the area of injury. And usually this would happen if the injury is quite large. Uh, one key thing that changes is the introduction of myofibroblasts. So it's like fibroblasts' big beefcake bro, who gives a bit more muscle power when closing the wound up. So that's a super general way that wounds heal. But not all wounds are the same. I wish, yeah. That would be super awesome. As humans, we have the tendency to do stupid shit to our bodies. And sometimes our bodies don't want to behave the way we want them to. So let's go check out what the common problems that may occur during healing and scar formation. After the after party, It usually takes, on average, about three months for a wound to completely heal. Well, heal as close to normal as possible. So scars tend to be less stretchy and have blanching of the skin. The tissue may not be the same anymore, but we can deal with it and move on. It's fine. But shit can go wrong during the healing process. For example, hypertrophic slash keloid scar formation. When the body gets a little too excited, it can produce more tissue than what it should, so predominantly collagen. Now, the difference between hypertrophic and keloid scarring is hypertrophic is a raised-looking scar but stays where the initial injury has occurred. Um, so, for example, if you cut a nice straight line, that line is raised up. Keloid scarring, however, is a raised scar which tends to go beyond the limits of the wound and it looks really weird and oddly shaped. This type of scarring usually happens for deep layered wounds. So scientists aren't quite sure why, but some people tend to be more prone to this type of scarring than others. Very common with my tropical brothers and sisters, such as Africans and Asians, hell yeah. All this means is that we are awesome tough and thick skinned so we can deal with more bullshit life flags to throw at us. Another complication is that not enough shit has dropped in during wound healing. So the inflammation party wasn't lit enough so you get almost a thin healing with not enough tissue formation. The wound can rupture and it splits apart like a soft peach. Sidebar story, when I gave birth to my little goblin, I actually popped my cesarean section by laughing too hard. True story. I was supposed to pop a pillow to hold my guts in to avoid this, but me being the dumb scientist, I did not do this. 
Increasing abdominal pressure is to blame and creates too much mechanical stress for the newly formed tissue to take. So I digress. Rupturing a wound can also lead to ulceration due to the lack of angiogenesis, you know, the formation of blood vessels during healing. They don't heal as well as it should and can be found in areas where a patient can't feel it, so like the foot or lower leg. This can increase the chances of infection as ulcers can rupture over and over again if not looked after properly. Very, very common with sufferers of diabetes. So too much granulated tissue can lead to what's nicknamed as proud flesh, inverted commas, where the granulated tissue is above the skin and blocks the formation of epithelial tissue to grow. Okay, so like I explained before about how we make a scab. So underneath the scab is usually where the thin layer of epithelial tissue is there to close the wound up. But you end up with what looks like raw meat exposed out in the air in this instance. Super painful. And you may need surgical intervention to fix that shit up to give the epithelium a chance to grow over the wound. Okay, last one. The last one is contracture, a common scar formation of burn victims where due to the size of the damage in the area, it can deform the wound and surrounding tissues. It fucks up your ability to move your joints properly. And that's why when you see someone who has had serious burns, they tend to have a constant bend of the joints and they're very, very stiff in movement. It's not comfortable. Thanks to some extremely clever surgeons, they can help alleviate this problem as best as they can for better mobility and quality of life. Well, holy shit, we are now at the end of our series of the study of suffering. You have now learned heaps of shit. How inflammation works, how your bodies adapt to shit, neoplasia cancer shit, and now how we heal. Do you as dumb scientists feel a little smarter? I know I sure as shit do, but only a little. <laughs> but God, it's fun learning this stuff. It's so bloody interesting. Thank you again so much for listening, peeps and pipettes. Tune in for another episode of The Dumb Scientist wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to leave a five-star review if you enjoyed this episode. Feedback is super awesome, and I would love to read your positive feedback on the Dumb Scientist Facebook page, Twitter, and now Instagram. This is how I learn. On the next episode, I will be starting a new topic about the study of organs. Yay! Where I will attempt to cover as much as I can about your insides. Catch you on the flip side. See ya!